0: This message by Zach Varnell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Zach serves as a pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Good morning. You can open up your Bibles to John chapter 4. And if you need a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible. You can just raise your hand. We also have uh, Bibles in Spanish, if that would serve you this morning. You just raise your hand and one of our ushers will get you a Bible. But this and next Sunday, um, before we begin our series in Philippians, we're going to take a look at two different places in Scripture where Jesus interacts with certain individuals and just completely changes the course of their lives. And the reason we're going to do that is to before we get to the epistle of joy in Christ, we thought it'd be good just to meditate on and look at uh, the heart of Christ, His heart towards sinners. And see what he invites us to. So, John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So, he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar So that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back, they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ And they went out of the town and were coming to him. John Piper is a Christian author and pastor. And he's often said that it's not necessarily books that change you as much as paragraphs or even sentences change your life. In his book, Pleasures of God, it's a great book. We have it in the bookstore. If you've not read it, I highly recommend it. But it's a, it's a God-centered meditation on what God treasures, his delight in being God. It's all about his pleasures and how we're even called to share in them. But that book was based on a sermon series that all came from one sentence that Piper read, and it changed him. He read it in Henry Skugel's letter, The Life of God in the Soul of Man, a a letter written in 1600s by a 20-year-old. And this is what Piper said about it. One sentence riveted my attention. It took hold of my thought life in early 1987 and became the center of my meditation for about three months. What Skugel said in this sentence was this key that opened for me the treasure house of the pleasures of God. And this is the sentence. He said, the worth and excellency of a soul is to be measured by the object of its love. The worth and excellency of a soul is to be measured by the object of its love, what it loves. Piper went on to write this poem. The soul is measured by its flights, some low and others high. The heart is known by its delights and pleasures never lie. What we treasure reveals our hearts. Our pleasures never lie. They say something about our hearts. I've been so influenced by Piper's ministry and desiring God and his mantra that God is most glorified in us and we are most satisfied in him. I love the idea of superior joy in Christ above all things. Finding delight in him, even in the things of earth, tracing them back to our great giver, but I don't know about you, but when I, when I pause to just evaluate what my pleasures are, my pleasures in life, I often come up wanting. I, I so often, even as much as I love that, I so often lack pleasure in God. This text is all about a superior treasure. It is all about Finding pleasure and satisfaction in the Lord. And I'm just so grateful that what Jesus comes to this woman and holds out to her, he holds out to us again today. He's offering us the same thing this morning, namely to be satisfied in him. Be satisfied in the Lord. I think that's the main point this morning. Be satisfied in the Lord by receiving what he's offering to us, this living water. So how does he do it? How does he come to us and offer this living water? Well, point 1, he graciously breaks through all barriers. Verse 1, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Tension was building. Tension was building among the Pharisees about Jesus and John, men who the Pharisees were concerned about. They didn't appreciate or like the effect that they were having on the people. So to avoid this tension in in Christ's perfect wisdom, he leaves, he left. And verse 4 makes it extra clear why. And he had to. He had to pass through Samaria. He had to. You could say partly in the sense that it made the most sense to travel geographically from Judea to Galilee. But probably more close to John's point. He had to in the sense that he is on mission. He's purposeful. There's meaning. Actually, his sovereignty is on display. He had to. There is a person he had to reach. And there he arrives, tired and wearied from his journey. Verse 4, he sits beside this well and he waits to meet this woman. When he, when he comes and he asks her for a drink, you have to understand this is a radical thing that's happening. It's a radical thing that Jesus is doing. There was a deep ethnic and religious divide between Jews Jews. And Samaritans, they were considered enemies. Verse 9, Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. It was severe. Jews considered Samaritans inferior and heretical. Many Jews, actually on this same journey, many Jews would would avoid Samaria. They would take a longer journey to bypass going through Samaria so that they wouldn't have to interact with these people. But not Jesus. Not our Savior who's purposeful and planned and gracious. You can see the surprise and the shock in this woman's response when Jesus speaks to her. She says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? You know, some Jews would have even considered Jesus drinking from a Samaritan's jar to make him ceremonially Unclean. But it's more than that. It's not just this religious divide or ethnic divide. It's the fact that he's a man and she is a woman. Socially, this was inappropriate in their minds. A man to interact with a woman like this in public. That's why the disciples, when they return, they don't actually say anything but to him, but they think to themselves, why are you talking with her? The point of all this, Jesus is breaking through barriers To get to her, no matter what it takes, he's breaking through social stigma just to have a meaningful encounter with this woman. You notice something else. When she comes to draw water, it says it's the sixth hour. About the sixth hour in verse 6. Which means it would have been about noon. You know, in this place, people don't go to draw water at noon. You thought Knoxville was hot this summer? This is desert area. Nobody goes to draw water at noon. You go early in the morning or late in the evening when it's cool. And that is exactly the point. She's going when she knew no one else would be there. This woman's an outcast, even among her own people. But there was Jesus sitting, waiting for her. We can just pause here and... Because we're seeing the heart of Christ already on display and he is the same towards you. That woman felt like an outsider. She was seeking to avoid others and yet she is exactly who Jesus was seeking. You know, sometimes we can think God's thoughts about ourselves for him. In other words, we can sometimes assume his disposition towards us is based on us or based on just what we think about us. God must agree with us, whether good or bad. Maybe you're not a Christian here, and uh, you have a hard time thinking God could accept a person like you. Maybe based on things that you've done in your past, you just know you're you're not worthy enough. Or maybe even as a believer, you know that the Lord's rescued you, but but you can just think God just tolerates me because he has to. He's obligated now, but he's not very excited about it. We can think he's more excited about the people who have, you know, all their lives and their act together. No. This is the heart of Christ on display. His disposition towards us is not about us. Thank the Lord. His disposition toward us is about him. His grace, his kindness. He is the Lamb of God who came to save sinners. That's who he's after. He doesn't just tolerate you. He is eager to draw near to you. I pray that encourages your faith this morning to receive what he has to offer, just to come to him and receive from him, no matter what barriers you think you see in the way. Remember that shepherd he tells about who who leaves the 99 and goes after that one and he just throws that one on his shoulder and he celebrates. That's his heart for you. In In this moment, this woman is amazed and we should be too. We're just amazed he would come to us, especially when we consider what he's offering. So point two, he graciously offers living water. Verse 10, he says, if you knew the gift of god and who it is that is saying to you give me a drink you would have asked him and he would have given you living water again he's so eager and what's he offering he's offering eternal life life in the spirit john 3:34 says for he whom god has sent utters the words of god for he gives the spirit without measure That's what he's come to give. That's what he's offering. That's the gift of God, the water that wells up into eternal life. It's the gift of the Spirit's indwelling. It's the gift of faith. It's the gift of fellowship with God by the Spirit. This is an offer of salvation, forgiveness of sin, eternal life in him. God taking residence in our hearts, changing our hearts of stone, giving us hearts of flesh, making us new. It's eternal life. And notice it's a gift. It's the gift of God. It's to be received and not earned. Jesus is offering something incredible. I mean, uh, words don't describe how incredible this is. Something life-changing. And yet, look at her response. So he's offering, he would give you living water, and she says, well, where's your bucket? Where are you going to get it? Where are you going to get this living water? My wife and my wife Sarah and I have uh, three little kids uh, a four year old, a three year old, and a 10 week old that looks like an eight month old. Um, but we're daily learning how to parent. <laughs> we're trying. Uh, you know, we read things and ask for counsel. We're just trying to instruct their hearts and shepherd them and care for them. I was having a conversation with my girls a few days ago and I was about to leave for the day, and I was trying to set my wife Sarah up for success. And so I was telling them, look, two things, okay? I want you to be kind to each other and be respectful to Mommy. And I gave a lengthy explanation of what that meant. I thought it was a very powerful message, actually. (laughs) I thought it was very clear. And then at the end, I asked, now, girls... What, did I, what am I asking you to do? And Olive, my three-year-old, I think sincerely, I don't think she was messing with me, she said, do not be kind. <laughs> like, okay. Hazel, what, what, did, what, am, what am I asking? She said, I don't know. <laughs> like, okay, have a great day. That's not an uncommon experience. It seems like in this moment... When Jesus is speaking with this woman, it seems like it's just going right over her head. She's missing it. But what does that point to? It points to her hardness of heart. It points to her, her, her focus on what's temporary. She's so zeroed in on her physical thirst. She has a heart, she's, she's missing what Jesus is offering. And listen, she represents all of us. She's showing our own. That's our hardness of heart, our own spiritual blindness. It's another barrier that Jesus is breaking through. In the chapter right before this, in John chapter 3, there's another encounter Jesus has with a man named Nicodemus. He's a religious leader, so he's known. We know his name. He's a religious insider, he's one who knew the law, who was a good Jew. He wasn't a social outcast like this woman. And in that interaction, Jesus tells Nicodemus that you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. You have to be born again. And Nicodemus' response is similar. He, he just, how can a man be born when he's old? Does he enter again into his mother's womb? I don't think he's being sarcastic. I think just like this woman, he's confused, thinking only of physical realities, blind to see what Jesus is saying. Because They are both blind to what they need ultimately. And and there's a great point between Nicodemus and John 3, this woman at the well and John 4. There's reason why they're right beside each other a religious insider, a social outcast. The whole point is that no one is beyond the need of God's grace, and yet no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. This is a story all about his grace, his grace to come and rescue us. Sin makes us fools. Paul Tripp says, sin brings with it a functional insanity from which we all need to be delivered. That's exactly what Jesus came to do when he gives the gift of his spirit. 1 Corinthians 2 says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. That's what Jesus is at work doing in the heart of this woman. Her mind set on this physical water to quench a physical thirst, but she was misunderstanding her greater need. There's something more essential What is it you think you need most this morning? What's going on in your life right now that you are most tempted to be focused on, setting your eyes on, having a hard time looking up from? You know, maybe it's some sort of financial issue or job situation. A lot of people struggling with jobs. Maybe it's a problem with someone in your family or one of your kids. Maybe it's a reoccurring health issue. It's a longing of yours that's not been met. It's not that these things don't matter. No way. It's not that they don't matter. They're important. Remember, Jesus and this woman came to the well because they were thirsty. There's a thirst. There's a need. These things are part of our lives. But where we get in trouble, where the insanity of our sin can take us, is when we think these things are what we need most when we're so zeroed in on them that we miss what Jesus might be holding out to us to receive. Jeremiah 2 says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. That's our problem. That's our blinding. When we forsake The fountain of living waters, what we need most, and we turn and hope in and bank on and trust in other things that hold no water. Paul Tripp again says, The cruelest lie ever told is that life, heart-satisfying life, can be found somewhere outside of our Creator. If you believe it, it will not only leave you empty and discouraged, but it will set your life on a course of destruction. Jesus saying, "If you knew the gift of God, you knew what He was offering to you, we would know that hoping in anything else beside Him will keep us thirsty. You have to always come back, but in verse 14, he says, "Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, you'll never be thirsty again." Tim Keller, another author, he says, uh, "Everybody has to live for something. But Jesus is arguing that if he is not that thing, it will fail you. We've all experienced this. Jesus is promising to be our soul's satisfaction, even saying the water that I give him will well up into eternal life, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That's what he's offering. You know, amazingly, this is not just about heaven. This is not just about endure now and that Welling of eternal life happens then. No, it's about right now. The life of heaven now welling up inside of us, satisfying us while we live even in this fallen world. So are you thirsty this morning? Do you feel your need? You know, it's a good place to be. Hear his invitation that he's holding out to find water that leads to eternal life. It's what he's eager to give. It's the offer of faith. Faith is believing Jesus really does satisfy. He really is everything that I need. As long as we believe our greatest need is something we can achieve on our own, we will be blind to what he's offering. But when we humble ourselves and receive from him this gift, oh, with no satisfaction and we keep coming back. So receive it. Receive it. Receive it this morning. Receive this offer, this living water, eternal satisfaction in Him. Receive it either for the first time ever by placing your faith and trust in Jesus and what He's done to rescue you from sin or receive it for the thousandth time. Be reminded He really does satisfy. He is all we need. I'm going to fight to believe that and live in the good of that. Just like communion helps us to do. Be reminded, Jesus said in John 7, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He graciously breaks through barriers to offer us this living water. Thirdly, he graciously calls us to true worship. To truly worship Him. In verse 16, there's this transition in the conversation. She says, give me this water. And Jesus said, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered Him, I have no husbands. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. Before the gospel can be good news, we have to first understand that there is bad news. The living water of His grace is is really, it's sweet only to those who have tasted the bitter reality of sin. We don't know all the details of this woman's sin, but it seems like she'd spent lots of her life looking to broken cisterns that hold no water. She needs what only Jesus can give, and He is graciously, look, He's not trying to make her feel bad. He's trying to change her. He's he's inviting her. He's exposing these things in her life so that she might see her need for him. He's pointing her to something better. He is the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. But he has to address that sin. And he's going to. She had to see the cheap alternative. You know, conviction of sin is a gift. We never want to forget that. Conviction of sin is a gift. It's meant to turn you away from something. It's not meant to condemn you. When the Spirit convicts us, He's not intending for us to turn in on ourselves and just focus on how terrible of people we are. Conviction is meant to change Conviction is meant to bless us, to lead us to something better, to draw us back to that fountain again. Maybe the Lord would be doing that in your heart this morning, exposing any cheap alternatives you run to when things get difficult. If so, embrace His kindness that leads you to repentance, calling you to something better. I think that's what He's doing With this woman, he's making her a worshiper of God. In verse 19, she she appears to change the subject. She asks a question about the place of worship on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Which one's correct? Two different views. But Jesus doesn't scold her for avoiding the question. He doesn't say, let me deal with your heart first and then we'll talk about that. Something good is happening. She's perceived he's a prophet. She knows more about him. Her question's genuine. So Jesus meets her right where she's at and answers her question. Verse 21, he said to her, woman, believe me, the hour's coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Jesus is saying it's not based on your location. He's inaugurating something new Verse 23, the hour is coming and is now here. You don't have to travel to a specific physical temple to worship. That was a huge deal in the Old Testament. If you read through Deuteronomy over and over and over again, God commands, you worship in the place that I choose for you. You don't worship outside of this place. You worship in the place that I tell you to worship. But here Jesus says in verse 23, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father's seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. It's no longer about a place. It's about a person. The Spirit is the gift Jesus has come to bring. And the truth is what Jesus has come to teach. The Father is seeking worshipers by giving them the gift of faith in His Son. You know, she wasn't seeking God. What was she doing? She was just going to the well to get some water. She wasn't seeking God. But God was seeking her. Seeking her worship. You know, worship's not just about singing songs. This up here at the beginning of our meeting that's not worship. I mean, we are worshiping, through, but that's through song. That's not what worship is only about. It's not about going through the motions on a Sunday morning. Real worship. In spirit and truth, it's rooted in a deep, personal experience with the living God. It is all about knowing Him. Jesus is a great rescuer, but it's not just, He's not just a rescuer. Abe and K.D. Wood realized a few days ago, that, uh, that they were not going to make it to the hospital in time to have their boy, Walter. He was coming, and there was nothing going to stop it. So they called 911, and they pulled into a gas station. And amazingly, the Lord provided for them a fireman who had delivered something like 19 babies before I bet he's got some stories, don't you think? <laughs> in that moment, you can bet, oh, goodness, are you kidding me? Isn't that God's kindness? You can bet Katie and Abe were hoping in this man. <laughs> they put a lot of hope in this guy, hoping in his help, his rescue in this moment. But what about afterwards? You know, at this point, they've been able to go to the hospital. Everybody's healthy. They're not continuing to hope in this fireman. They've not pulled him into the room and asked him to help keep the baby, help the baby sleep or take care of the other kids. They're great, they're thankful, I'm sure, for this fireman, but they're not banking on his help for anything else. You see, hope in Jesus is not like that. It's not a one and done deal. We don't hope in him just for a rescue from our sin. We hope in Him for everything. We trust in Him for all circumstances, all of our lives, all of our peace, our joy, our rest, everything. That's worship. Fellowship with God. It's the great treasure of the kingdom. It's like a man finding treasure hidden in a field and he covers it back up Then in his joy, he goes and he sells everything he has. And he buys that field, sold out for that field, living for it. That's what it's like to be in the kingdom. He's not just giving us clean slates to start over and go figure it out. He's turning us into worshipers who live our lives for him and know and love him. Does God seem distant from you? Oh, He is near. He's near and eager to be found. He's graciously inviting you to be a worshiper. To trust Him and live for Him. Be satisfied in Him. You know, that's why we exist as a church. To worship our God. Is worship ever difficult for you? Was it difficult this morning to sing and to be here and to fellowship? If that's true... I think the invitation is to just pray for help, pray for the spirit to come and remind you he's all satisfying. At the end of the conversation, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Can you imagine this moment? The language he uses is I am. I am. The one you've been looking for, you're looking at Right now, He's not just claiming to have good news. He's claiming to be the good news that has come. The very one offering this life, this gift from God. He is the Son of God come to save sinners. He breaks through whatever barriers are necessary to find us and claim us and rescue us. He meets us where we are. He provides living Water, satisfying the needs of our souls. This is our Savior. This is what he's done with this woman, because what happens after this? Verse 28. So the woman left her jar, went away into the town, and said to the people, come see a man who's told me all that I ever did. What I love in this moment is she leaves her water jar. <laughs> maybe it was out of haste. She's just so excited to start sharing this good news with these people. Maybe it was out of a desire for Jesus to actually have this drink. You know, no one's had any water yet by this point, it's hot. Or maybe more deeply, it's an illustration John uses to show she's leaving it behind leaving behind this worldly thirst and receiving what Jesus had come to offer. She couldn't help but go and tell. She just couldn't help it. Isn't that what happens when you experience something life-changing? You tell others about it. In fact, you can't hold it all in. Jesus didn't start an evangelism class right after this. She just got up and went. Because she'd found her treasure She'd been transformed. The very people she was avoiding that day are the very people she went to and told about Jesus because her message wasn't about her and what she had done. Her message was about him and what he had done. The gospel of God's grace frees us from our sin to face it, to face it and to turn from it and then go and tell others that you can get in on this too. When we met Jesus and He's changed us, we found life in Him, we really are eager to tell others about Him. Because of our sin, our rebellion against the Holy God, we deserve His wrath. All of us do. We need His forgiveness. We need His salvation. And that's exactly what Jesus came to provide. The forgiveness of sin. Life eternal. Satisfaction in God the gift of living water, righteousness. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he's still doing it. What's incredible about this encounter with this woman is why it even happened. You know, how how did they meet? It's because Jesus was tired and wearied from his journey. The Son of God was tired and thirsty. So important to remember, He became a man, a real human being. He took on flesh and lived among us. And this wasn't the last time Jesus said He thirst. Because on the cross, He cried out, I thirst. And it wasn't just for physical water, it was that, but because the cross On the cross, he was separated from his Father as he bore God's wrath for sin. He lost, in that moment, he lost what was deeply satisfying to him, fellowship with his Father. He was separated from that when he bore God's wrath for our sin but Jesus endured that cosmic thirst so that you and I would never have to. He did that so that we would find our satisfaction and salvation in Him. This water that wells up to eternal life. He died and rose again that He might offer us a drink from this fountain He supplies. To be born again and have life in him. This is his heart for you. It's not just a one and done deal. It's a daily commitment to your good, a daily satisfying of your greatest need, a daily leading you into life everlasting, a daily offer of living water to restore and refresh and satisfy your longing soul. That's what he offers, that's what he gives. If you're not satisfied in him this morning, pray that he'd show you how great your need was, how much you need him, and how, credi- how incredibly he met that need to have you. May he create in each of us a worshiper who is satisfied in him, all for his glory and for our good. Let's pray for that and ask Him to do that. Lord, that is what we pray for. You would satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we would rejoice and be glad all our days. Do that, Lord. Thank you for the gift of faith. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. Thank you for the gift of your Spirit. I pray now, Lord, that you would meet with us, help us to be truly satisfied in you. Lord, remove everything else that gets in the way and allow us, Lord, to trust in you, to drink in this living water that you are so gracious to offer. We thank you for your grace and kindness. In Jesus' name, amen.